Well, good morning. How is everybody this morning? Enjoying the pollen? Right? All right, well, today um, we're going to review a little bit of, uh, from last week, uh, part one of Exodus. Today we'll finish up with the second half of the book of Exodus. Um, but like I said, we're going to review. Um, and in that review, we'll go over um, Israel's exodus, exodus out of Egypt, um, this gift of freedom that God has given them. Um, we talked a little bit about the law, the gift that that is, that God gave Israel. We'll dive more into that today. Um, and then after reviewing, I want us to go into the Ten Commandments um, after further explaining uh, the law. And so I'm only going to try and teach for about 30 minutes today so that we have more time than we did last week um, for questions. And so if you could please hold them off till the end. Uh, but if you just raise your hand, then I'll make a note that, okay, we have to go back to that slide or that portion of the teaching during the question and answer time. And so, as I said, we're currently in session two of a journey through the Bible uh, where we're looking at how God is shaping his kingdom here on earth. Um, And through that, we saw uh, previously in Genesis how God is laying the blueprint for this kingdom that's going to come to be. Um, We see in Exodus right off the bat how um, currently the people of Israel were fruitful, increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so the land was filled with them. Um, This is just God bringing into fruition what he said to to Adam and then also to Abraham with the Abrahamic covenant. And so it's slowly starting to unfold um, this kingdom, but also the story of how God's working through his people for his people, for his glory. So with that, there's four gifts that we can see in the book of Exodus the, uh, the gift of freedom, the gift of law, the gift of land, and the gift of king. So, of course, the gift of freedom is Exodus, uh, the Exodus movement, uh, Israel's exodus out of Egypt from the, um, the terrible 400-year bondage that they had as slaves under Pharaoh uh, in Egypt. And this picture doesn't do it justice. I think it's one of the most beautiful pictures I've seen for the Exodus. But if you read just those chapters, those verses in Exodus um, of what actually went on, it's just, it's incredibly uh, beautiful, vivid, um, and full of imagery. And so from that, um, we see Israel going across the Red Sea, through the Red Sea that God has opened up for them, and they're making their way down to Mount Sinai. Uh, They're in the land of Goshen in Egypt. Um, There's a few routes that they think they might have taken, but they did cross the Red Sea, and they find themselves in what is today known as Jebel Musa, which is in modern-day Morocco. Um, and I did some research for you guys, um, and it took them roughly 47 days, um, over 700 kilometers. Mind you, this is the desert, so they weren't moving real fast. Um, and there's a lot of people, but I just wanted to show you this image to kind of help the text come alive to show you guys um, where they went, um, exactly how long it was. And so from that, we find ourselves right now uh, at Mount Sinai in this portion of Exodus. And just to wrap up this review, um, we've seen from Roger's teachings and myself, um, the creation, the fall, the promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. Um, And now we're in the Exodus. And so we're, as I said, these four gifts that God is going to give to Exodus is going to really shape the kingdom Um, not how Israel would want it, but how God wants it for them. Because if you remember, sinful people don't get to decide how they're going to worship God, be with God, live for God. It's God who is going to instruct them 
who's going to shape them on how to be his people. And so the four fruits um, of the law that we're going to look at um, is identity, a true identity for Israel. No longer are they slaves, but they are the people of God. Um, God has given them a way to live through the law. Also, they have a purpose for God, um, and God has given them a way to worship him. And so for the first one, identity, um, they have been set apart. And this is um, clearly not even just because of their freedom, but also through the law. Yes, they are free, but now they're truly God's people, not only to himself, but to the whole world. And so I'm going to read this real quick for us. In Exodus 19, that's where we find ourselves right now. We read, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that ye shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So I want you to remember, um, looking at verse 8, I underlined it for you guys. Israel's response to God through Moses, um, when he gave gave it to God, excuse me, um, of this posture that they have towards him. Because Israel's going to do some things coming up here soon that's going to go against their words. They're really excited for this new gift of the law, but has their hearts changed? Are they truly living for the Lord Um, And so we're about to see that. So they have this new identity from the law, but then the law also gives them a moral guidelines on how to live. No longer are they taking guidelines or laws from Egypt. They're taking it from God. And so if you remember from last week, the law or Torah uh, means instruction. So God's instructing his people on how to live, not only with this freedom, but this land that he's going to give them and this king. Uh, that they have. And so the first five books of the Bible, as we know, are the Pentateuch, also known as the first five scrolls. And so this law isn't just given in the book of Exodus, but in all five books, we can um, see God's instruction for his people. Um, This law is also supposed to be something that Israel is supposed to hold fast to, reflect upon um, in times of uncertainty or in certain situations they don't know what to do. They can reflect back upon the law and see what God has instructed them to do and thus live forth in it. And so, um, as I said, even after they leave Mount Sinai, where we're, we're focusing in right now, the law is still going to unfold. So we have identity. We have um, a way to live for Israel. But they also have a new purpose. Their purpose isn't now just building buildings for Pharaoh or just doing whatever he commands them to do. No, they have a purpose, and it's twofold. The first is that they're supposed to be a blessing, not only to God, um, and to each other in Israel, but to the whole world. And so we saw that um, from God's words to Abraham in Genesis of how his people will be a blessing. Um, and then we see it uh, in the New Testament, kind of more illuminated by Paul referencing this covenant um, that God had with his people when he said um, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. 
So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so we to this day are blessed by God and we're supposed to be a blessing unto others. Just as Israel is supposed to bless all the nations, so are we. And the way that we do that today is Jesus' final commandment to his people, the Great Commission, as we know, as we know it, excuse me, where he said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we, just, we see this kind of parallel um, between the Mosaic Covenant through the law and through also the new covenant with Jesus about how the people of God are supposed to be a blessing to all nations. And then the second part of this twofold purpose for Israel is that they're supposed to reflect God's holiness to all the nations, which we are also still supposed to do today. But with this, God's calling Israel to be um, a nation that is holy and that are priests. Um, he's not exclusively um, pinpointing this to Aaron um, and his lineage, the, the Levitical priests, the tribe of the Levites, um, but to all the nations to represent God, to be his image bearers, to be his agents of, of blessing, of love, and of grace to all the nations of the world. And so by keeping this covenant, as we just uh, read in verse 8 of uh, chapter 19 about how excited they were, people would continue to set themselves apart because they're supposed to be holy from the other nations, yet also be a blessing to them. So they're not supposed to just stay, um, stay away from everybody to be holy, um, but by being holy, by being set apart, they're also supposed to be a blessing unto others so that others can come to have faith in God and be a part of his people, part of his covenant. And that's the cycle would keep going. Be holy, be set apart, but be a blessing. More people would be drawn in. And so, again, we see this um, illuminated in the New Testament by Peter, where he said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So if you didn't know, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, call upon the name of the Lord, then you're a part of the royal priesthood of all the saints. Um, and you're supposed to be holy, just as God is holy, but also a blessing Unto others, and so not only just with these um, these two points of this gift, but throughout Scripture we can see many parts of the Old Testament um, be referenced in the New Testament, but also be illuminated, so we can kind of understand them in a deeper way. But the context in which they were given, and so the last fruit um, from the law um, of God's gift to Israel is worship, because it tells and instructs, excuse me, Israel on how they can worship a holy God, how sinful people can be with their God and worship him. Because as I said, sinful people don't get to decide on how to do this. It's God. It's a holy God who instructs his sinful people on how to be with him, on how to worship him. And so we see this in, um, in a, I think it's the sixth time that Moses is up on Mount Sinai where God is instructing to Moses on the construction of the tabernacle and how to go about conducting the sacrifices to God, the offerings, and also the celebrations of feasts. So we don't have time to go into all of those, but I encourage you to go back and see how God is instructing his people on how to do all this, this worship that they have with God. And so now we have gone over two of the gifts uh, that God has given Israel, the gift of freedom out of Egypt, out of this bondage. Um, He's given them the law. He's about to give them this land, this promised land, but also a king because God is now their king. God um, saved them from the hands of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, the sun god as he was known, their king, 
Um, and so with these two gifts that are about to come forth, um, not just in this book, but also in the books that are to follow, we see God's heart towards his people and the gifts that he wants to give them. And so now that we're done with the review, I wanted to, uh, the review of both the law and the, the gifts that came before that. We're going to go through the Ten Commandments. Yes, I know some of you guys probably know this movie, 1956. I'll be honest, I've never seen it before. I've seen clips here and there. Um, I know Netflix didn't have it, so my generation just is going to miss out on this. I hear it's pretty good. Did you guys enjoy it when it came out? You need to see how they parted the Red Sea in the movie. I've seen clips of it, yeah, and um, great graphics, great animation in it. Um, so, so anyways, um, so we're going to look at the Ten Commandments. Um, I know we were all taught them time and time again in Sunday school as kids growing up. We're all good Christians. We have the Ten Commandments memorized. I'm not going to question you guys. There's no quiz today. Um, but what I want to look at in the Ten Commandments is the story of how they came uh, came to be, the story of how God gave them to Israel, the context in which he gave them, um, because context is so important when reading not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament, but especially the Old Testament, because we understand what was truly happening at that time. We see some of the symbolism um, and we see the importance that in just our 21st century minds and cultures and worldview that we have, we could definitely miss. Um, so context is important. Also, we're going to look at the typology, which is a theological term, which is just for parallels. The parallels are um, in the Ten Commandments and also something else that I'm about to show you. Also, some facts that you may not have known from uh, the Ten Commandments uh, that when I researched, I learned something that really um, kind of blew my mind. But also the love, the love that God um, saturated the Ten Commandments in um, for Israel. And so through the Ten Commandments, I know when I... Um, Grew up in Sunday school and I learned them. I was like, man, these are just more rules and rules and rules. Like, if you would have told me there was love saturated in them and they're based in love, I would have, no, no way. So we're going to look at that. And so to go through the story of the Ten Commandments, the story of them begin in Exodus 19. I'll run through the entire rest of the book of Exodus. Um, and it isn't just one time that Moses is going up and down Mount Sinai. Um, I was reading an article um, just earlier, and actually yesterday, how um, some theologians or Bible scholars, excuse me, believe that eight times Moses went up and down Mount Sinai. Um, and this, is, this image kind of shows us truly how it was of how God is in a thick cloud up at the top. Israel is supposed to be at the bottom. Now, mind you, this is a mountain, so Moses having to go up and down, up and down. Um, and only he is allowed to go up there. Um, and through one of these times, one of these trips going up and down the mountain of Mount Sinai is when he is given the Ten Commandments. So at the top, um, and, excuse me, so if we remember from the Exodus that God is leading Israel in a cloud. So now that cloud has, um, has resided above Mount Sinai, which is a real mountain you can go and visit. Um, as I said, it's in modern day, uh, or not modern day, excuse me, it's in Morocco. Uh, it's in Morocco. Uh, you can go and visit. Uh, if you see in this image, there's an archaeology site going, going on. There's a monastery up there. Um, you can go and visit it, uh, in it. Excuse me. Uh, I'm sorry? Oh, no, you're good. Um, from, the, from the bottom to the top is 7,497 feet. Um, and it takes two and a half hours to go from the bottom to the top. So we see, I mean, try and think about when you're reading this, like, 
When Moses has to go up and get a message from the Lord and come down and tell it to Israel, they give their response. Moses has to go back up. Two and a half hours. I don't know if any of you are mountain climbers, but two and a half hours is not a walk in the park, especially for here. A lot of mountains nowadays, they have tr- like an exact like, route up the mountain, maybe some handrails. Moses didn't have any of that. And he didn't have a good pair of... Yes, and he didn't have any new balances or some hiking poles. He's really scaling that mountain. Um, so that's Jabal Musa, as they call it today. And so to give you some of the context um, of this, um, this time when Moses is receiving uh, the Ten Commandments and more of the law from God, um, is that to, if I can relate this to an American context today, is that God is establishing a constitution for Israel. There's this new nation. He's giving them this constitution of how they are to live, how they're supposed to operate, how they're supposed to govern themselves, and also be in relation with other people outside of Israel. Because God was the one who liberated Israel out of Egypt. He is now their king. And so he is going to tell them about how they're going to live. Um, Because he has the authority. He's the one who freed them. So now he's the one who's going to rule them. Just as Pharaoh was the one, or not just one Pharaoh, but was to put Israel under bondage and they ruled them. That's no longer. It is God who is ruling them. Um, He's going to tell them how to live. And so this typology, this, this theological term that I brought up, typology, these patterns. If you remember from the, the first part of Exodus, um, how God reigned upon uh, Egypt, 10 plagues, right? These 10, these 10 plagues. Well, now with 10 words, as the 10 commandments are known, or known as the Decalogue, God is going to uh, build Israel. And so with 10 plagues, he deconstructs Egypt. And with 10 words, he's going to construct Israel. And so just in the few span of chapters that separate these two events, we can see these, this, this pattern of 10, of 10, um, 10 to deconstruct and then 10 to construct. Um, it's not by chance. And so God is showing how sovereign he is, how powerful he is, and how just by speaking things into existence, how about speaking into these plagues um, to them to, to come about, he's also now with 10 words going to instruct Israel on how to live and how to be his people. And so a few facts uh, about the Ten Commandments is that, as I just said, they're the basic laws of the covenant formed between God and Israel. Um, they're part of the Mosaic Covenant or the, the law that God has given Israel. Um, in Exodus twenty four twelve, we read that God actually wrote on the stone tablets uh, by the finger of the Lord these Ten Commandments. And they're written on stone instead of clay. A lot of things were written on clay back then, but clay um, isn't as strong, isn't as durable as stone. So the reason why God chose stone is that it would be, um, it had a longer lifespan, a longer, um, yeah, it's just more durable. can't find my words right now, but you get what I mean. It's going to last longer. Um, if they drop it, it's not going to shatter. It's still going to be there. And it's written um, by God. And then the first five commandments are going to deal with the relationship of Israel, of God's people to God. And then the second five are going to deal with their relationship between human beings. Not just Israel to, or Israelites to Israelites, but Israelites to all people. And this is honestly how all people um, should treat one another. And so if we see the first five right here, we're dealing with um, the relationship of God and Israel and Israel to God. And then, as I just said, the, first, uh, the last five we're going to deal with how human beings, those created in the image of God, are supposed to deal with each other. Not just the children of God and the Gentiles, but all people. Um, and then lastly, as I said, all these Ten Commandments are based, um, are saturated in, excuse me, 
and the love of God. Because with them, um, God's showing them how to live, as I just said. This, this freedom that they have, this land that they're about to be given, this law and this king is all based in love. God freed Israel out of Egypt, out of his love for them. So he's now giving them a way to live out of his love for them. And so these Ten Commandments can be summed up um, in love. And we read that in Deuteronomy 6, 5, which is a part of the Shema. Um, And in it, we read, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And Jesus reiterates this in the New Testament. And so we can see more and more how this, this law, this covenant and the covenants before it are being referenced in the New Testament. The God of Genesis and of Exodus and the following chapters are the same God in the New Testament. He hasn't changed at all. And so we see this also in Jesus's words um, in Matthew 22, where he says, from the Shema, these Ten Commandments that are based in love, God's now telling his people how they're to live and be in relationship with one another and with God. And in it, Jesus is asked, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? They're actually trying to trip Jesus up um, in this answer. But Jesus answered this way. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law, as we're talking about right now, and the prophets, which who followed the law. And so with those two things, uh, two aspects of the law, of the love, of the commandments. Uh, we see that even today we're supposed to um, follow them, but the way that we can um, not get so sucked into trying to follow each one, to where if you follow these two commandments, you're thus fulfilling all 10 commandments that God gave Israel at Mount Sinai. And so to recap for the book of Exodus, um, part one from last week and part two today, um, is that what God promises, he will do. This promise that he gave Abraham, that is, um, he will make a, a people out of him and they will be great and they will be a blessing. Well, remember that Israel was under bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And so they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. Some of them gave up hope um, in God, but he did come for it. I mean, he did fulfill his plan and, and bring it to fruition. And so we see that God will always fulfill his promises, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament and even today, his promises to us. Another point uh, and another theme in the book of Exodus that I wanted you to understand or to remember is that God calls Israel to be faithful to his covenant before he has revealed all of it. If you remember um, in when I highlighted Exodus 19, 8, Israel's response to God of this covenant, they said, all that you will do, we will follow. God hadn't even given them the covenant. So he's calling them to faith before he even lays out this covenant, this law for his people. So it's not so much about following these commandments. They're not saved by it. They're saved by faith, just as we are today. And so um, the one verse that I wanted to highlight, because in this, the the third theme um, that I want you to remember in the book of Exodus is how God is revealing himself to his people in such an incredible um, and intimate way. And we learn more of God, who is the God, who was and is and is to come. And that's in Exodus 34, Verse six to the first half of seven, it says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So here we see, if you take this, these two verses and you just kind of have them to the side of your Bible as you read the entire Bible, 
you'll see that this is occurring over and over again of these, these acts by God or through people of how he's showing his steadfast love, of how he's showing how he's slow to anger. We see um, exactly in Exodus when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments and he sees Israel worshiping a golden calf and he throws down the Ten Commandments and they actually shattered. He was so mad that he goes back up. After he corrects them, he melts the golden calf um, he goes back up uh, Mount Sinai to God, and he pleads with God to have mercy upon his people. And what does God do? Well, out of, he was slow to anger, and out of his um, abounding and steadfast love and faithfulness, he was merciful upon Israel. He was graceful to merciful uh, to Israel, and then it just wiped them out as he could have. I mean, that could have just wiped them out right there from the wrath of God for the penalty of their sin, what they were due. But that wasn't the case. We see the heart of God and the love that he has for his people. So that is part two of Exodus. I finished a little early, which is good. Does anybody have any questions? This is the best part of the class. Yes, Roy. Yes, come on. It's in Egypt. Is it? Okay, well, then my textbook was wrong. Thank you. Thank you. Egypt's here, so it's part of Egypt. Thank you. You learn something new every day. Thank, I'm a student too. Wow. Okay. Well, I need to throw that textbook away. <laughs> wow. I'm going to write that down. Thank you. You said in where? In Egypt still? In Egypt. Thank you. It was part of Israel when they won the 73 war, then they gave it back to Egypt. Mm. Throwing that book away. <laughs> any, uh, any other questions? If you don't have a question, what stood out? Let me ask this to you. What stood out to you in the book of Exodus as you read it on your own or from the teachings um, or maybe a teaching that you had years ago that has just left an imprint upon you? You said something right about the archaeologists, all the findings. Yes. In Egypt, they are going crazy doing the digging. Mm-hmm. Present day. Yeah. There's, um, there's three major, um, I guess you could call them archaeological societies. Um, yeah. You have a secular one, you have a Jewish one, and then you have a Christian one. Now, the Christian and the Jews are actually working really well together. Um, the secular one, not so much. And when they find things, they're not looking at the... Um, I'm not saying that it's proving the Bible, but they're just saying, like, hey, these are facts. Um, and thankfully, in the past few decades, um, just with the invention of a lot of technology that we have, sonar, imaging, um, they're being more, I'm going to put it, professional. Just decades ago, even in the 1950s, like it was literally, they were paying um, cheap labor for guys just to go out there with a pick and an axe and just hack away at things. And that's why you find some statues that are chipped away. Well, yeah, they were really just like going at it um, to where, so when I taught uh, Colossians a few months ago, when I looked up um, just any archaeological finds that they have, they haven't even begun it. They know it's down there. And they've taken a tons of imaging. And I was like, oh, okay, so come out here soon, all these archaeological finds. No, it takes decades upon decades. And so um, I read somewhere that it's going to take, for all of what we have found, if they were to stop finding new things right now, it would take about 400 years to them to truly study, find, um, and connect archaeological finds well, they, to... they think they've now located mm-hmm. findings of crossings under... Finding chariots now with the sonar. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly. It's it's going towards uh, Syria versus mm-hmm. 
the Sinai Peninsula. Really? I think it's actually a little bit further over. Oh, wow. But again, it's still mm-hmm. preliminary. Yes. But with sonar, they're actually picking up uh, shapes of, uh, of wheels and axles. Really? Wow. Some of was just on TV like last week. It was a show on the History Channel. Mm-hmm. Just what he's talking about. Yes. So it's... That's a fun um, topic or study of subject um, in the Bible. I mean, you should study the Bible as, as what it is, but archaeological finding, Roy Siegel and I have conversations all the time, like, have you seen this book or this documentary or this video? Um, and yeah, to your point, which is on yeah, the news, we were, we just keeps coming. Pilgrimage. Oh, wow. We through the Sinai Peninsula, so we probably spent about three days there before we went over to Cairo. Okay. Okay, and Matt, I'm telling you, that peninsula, the, part, the lower part down mm-hmm. to... Shamashik and the Petra and all that stuff. That is just rock and sand. Really? There's nothing down there. Mm. Long bus ride. <laughs> yeah. Days. Yeah. Um, I've heard too um, that they found, if you remember when, uh, during the Exodus, when they came down from the land of Goshen to Mount Sinai, um, they had a battle with the Amaleks. Um, and they have found some, some finds from that that they believe. But also, if you think about, I mean, yeah, how hot was it when you were there? Incredibly hot, right? No? Well, no? We were there. Oh, you went in the we great, were, okay, yeah. good. But on that trip down, as I said, they got into a, uh, to a battle. Um, that's when God uh, gave Israel manna, the bread from heaven. It's when he turned, um, I forget, in the body of water, starts with an M, um, where God had Moses throw a log into it because it was too bitter to drink. He made it sweet. He also had Moses hit a rock and water came forth from it. All these incredible things happen, but a lot of times we just kind of just get sucked into Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments and the Golden Calf, when all these incredible events lead up to, and they're only just a few verses, but if you just spend time in those verses and realize God is bringing forth his plan, he's, he's fulfilling his promises, he's about to give him another covenant. There's all these preliminary events that just build up into, into what the time of Mount Sinai was to Israel, how incredible it was. So it just builds it up. So I encourage you to look at those small verses, those, those real short ones before um, Exodus 19, when Moses goes up for the first time, Mount Sinai, to be with God and to receive this law. Um, do, do you think, though, it, it, and I'm thinking about it, there were angels and slaves and fire and build, and they, they were kind of building up nation there in Egypt, like in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, Pharaoh felt like they were getting too yeah. big of the bridges and stuff. But they had, they, they had some semblance of, of, I don't want to call it a law, but of just some guidance, some guides. Yeah. They guided you know, and, and look, I read it in my lunch too. Do you think God just talking and said, okay, I'm going to simplify this thing with them? Or, or you know, with the Ten Commandments and stuff, or just... Mm, what, I wouldn't what, say... What's so. your thoughts on, I mean, yeah, as far as that goes? As far as, what, well, I'm sorry. The, the difference, you know, they, they, they have some semblance of, of law or something, and when they were in Egypt, Yes. And then when they came out of Egypt, mm-hmm. this is God just basically saying, okay, we're going to start this thing over again. Yeah, yeah. And so I think um, instead of simplified, maybe uh, clearer, more extensive, but also more defined for Israel, um, just to be more of God's people. And so, I mean, if you think about the amount of generations um, in Israel that there were in those 400 years, right. a lot of them who have lost hope are just kind of viewing those old... Um, Stories that they have been told orally about the Abrahamic covenant or Adam and Eve, just almost as folklore. 
And we see that um, in between the Old and the New Testament, the roughly 400 years, people had just kind of given up on the, the, the Messiah who was to come. Um, and so that's another typology that you can see. The 400-year bondage is also a pattern in between the Old and the New Testament. This 400 years before God ushered in a new covenant for his people. And then from that, yeah, we see teachings and instructions from Jesus for his people and how to be in relationship with him, but also to one another. And we see that, as I, as I show with Matthew 22, the first and second greatest commandment. So, yeah, I would say clear, more defined. Um, just an incredible gift that it was. Yes, George. Notice how many times we don't even learn today, but how many times he has to remind the people of Egypt yes. what he has done. Yeah. And even in the New Testament, you remember what you were in Egypt and where you did. Yes. So, I mean, we're very slow to learn. <laughs> we're hard headed. Um, one of the uh, verses that's repeated over and over again in Leviticus um, is God telling Israel, I am the Lord your God who led you out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt. Um, I think it's almost a dozen times where God says, I'm the Lord your God. He's like, I'm in charge here. You're not. And this is what you will do. The history of your forefathers. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. The history of your forefathers. Don't forget who I am and don't forget who you are. Um, so yeah, we've always been a stiff-necked people, hard-headed people. But praise God for his grace and his mercy upon us. Yes, Holly. Moses. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't say I did this or, or we did that. It's Moses did. Yeah. I'm kind of curious that he wrote in that. He wrote in that sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the literary um, devices and um, I guess you could say composition. English is not my forte. I'm horrible at English. Um, but if you see, um, yeah, they just. I mean, this is thousands of years ago. They just wrote in a different manner. Um, but yeah, to your point, um, I don't, I'm trying to recollect, I don't think there was a time when he said, I did, I did. And so, um, yeah, I can't really speak into that. I don't know if that's just how they wrote, like he didn't want to. Could somebody have written in the translation? What did he say? Could some of that have been the translation? Yeah, um. I'll be honest, I haven't studied that too much to exact, because, yeah, there, there's a lot of scholars that love to debate, did he really write this? Did he, like, through almost any book of the Bible, because a lot of people in today's day and era, like, to your point, Holly, say, well, if he didn't say I, then he didn't write it. We're like, no, this is thousands of years ago. They wrote differently, or in a different manner than we do today. But as far as the translation, I wouldn't um, look at that too much, just because um, we do have many of these manuscripts today. Um, and we can translate it. So I don't think that'd be one of the, um, yeah, one of the answers for that. Um, but no, that's a great way to think about it. Yeah, yeah is it, what about the translation? What's that? Yes. Yeah. 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 You can look at it that way for sure. Yeah. Aaron was his right hand man, um, the father of the priesthood. So. Um, and there is, uh, even in some commentaries I read, uh, it is humorous, they all say too, when Moses comes down um, from the mountain of Sinai, I think it was the, the sixth time, the sixth time, um, and he sees Israel worshiping this golden calf, and Aaron was just like, yeah, they pretty much made me do it. Like, they wanted this, and 
I threw the gold in the fire, and then a golden calf came out. Like, just the way he just, like, and to your point, like, we're stiff-necked, hard, or hard-headed people. Like, yeah, some people today, they just don't want to take responsibility. Like, I, I'm guilty of that. And he's just like, yeah, they made me do it. Like, this is what happened. It's like, Aaron, like, I was gone for 40 days up on the mountain, and this happened. And then uh, Moses burned the golden calf, threw it into the water, and had Israel drink it, um, which is crazy. Yeah. Any other comments, questions, concerns? Anything imprints upon your mind or illuminated more? You don't have enough time for all those things. I know, I know, 40 chapters. So, um, but like Roger said, so we won't meet next week, but the next class will be um, on the book of Leviticus, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, And we'll just learn more of uh, this law that God has given to Israel, the heart of God, how they're supposed to live in relationship to God and also to one another. And when is that date, Roger, the next class? Not next week, but the following? The 12th. The 12th, yes. Well, if nobody has any questions or comments, uh, let me close us in prayer. Oh, okay. Stanley Father, um, we thank you for uh, the breath in our lungs um, and just the beating hearts that you've given us. May they beat for you. Uh, may we live for you. And may we... Um, Get our, um, our source of energy um, from your word, not from, from the food that we eat, but from your word, because that is what will sustain us um, beyond uh, the days. And so, Lord, I pray as we, enter, or as we exit the schoolhouse and enter into the new week, Lord, um, that from this, this teachings and the, this learning that has gone on um, on the book of Exodus, may it draw us near to you. Um, may our love for you burn, burn just with a, a deeper passion but also our love um, for our neighbors. Um, And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you have blessed us with. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you.